Hey, everyone. I'm Steve Harrison, joining you again for WFAE's Inside Politics podcast, Election 2022. On today's episode, we're going local, looking at the Charlotte City Council races, specifically for City Council at large. That's where former Mayor Patrick Cannon is running in the Democratic primary on May 17th. Cannon, of course, spent time in federal prison for accepting $50,000 in cash and gifts when he was on council and as mayor. He addressed his past in an interview last month. There's no real rhyme or reason as to why it was done, and I make no excuses for it. Uh, Instead, I wish to right my wrong to prove to people that that's not the real Patrick Cannon. Cannon headlines the field, but there are other fascinating names too, like Lawanda Mayfield, who four years ago pushed a conspiracy theory that questions whether planes crashed into the World Trade Center on 9-11. Joining us to talk about the Democratic slate is former at-large city council member Michael Barnes, who ran for mayor in 2015 and lost in the Democratic primary to eventual winner Jennifer Roberts. And to talk about the Republicans' chances, if there are any, is former council member Kenny Smith. He also reached for the stars in 2017, but lost in the general election to Vi Lyles for mayor. He was the last well-funded GOP mayoral candidate. And of course, in the studio with me is Tim Funk and Jim Morrill, former Charlotte Observer reporters. Hey, guys. Hey, man. Hey, Steve. So, guys, when you look at this field, when you look at the political climate, what stands out at you? Well, you know, when you when you talk about the large race, it's really unusual in that you have six Democrats running in the primary and all either are or have been members of the city council. Uh, so it's really a game of musical chairs for the Democrats in this. And What stands out to me is what you mentioned about Patrick Cannon. Uh, Can he make a comeback? You know, voters uh, are in a lousy mood this year. They tend to blame the party in power. So I wonder if local Democrats should worry as much as Washington Democrats are are worrying. I mean, they have the numbers, but the, the weather is not in their favor this year. Yeah, I think for Republicans, um, you know, if they, when they get to the general election, they are hoping in a way that all of that somehow they can make this election a national election and to get Republicans to come out and get them excited, get them upset about masks or school closures or Joe Biden or inflation and vote for Republican city council candidates. That's their best play. But, you know, like you guys just said, the numbers are not particularly in their favor. It's a huge uphill battle for them. But first, you know, we've, we've got this fascinating race on the Democratic side. Will Patrick Cannon advance in the primary, which then makes him an overwhelming favorite to return to council. You know, we're going to hear from Michael Barnes. I think Michael has a a good perspective on this. He's well acquainted with people, and so is Kenny Smith. Kenny knows uh, all the players as well, and he's been on the other side. Yeah, and Kenny ran. We're going to talk about this with him, but he realized up close the challenges of running and trying to win a race as a Republican in the city, because he, when he ran... In 2017, he thought he was going to run against Jennifer Roberts in the general election, and he thought that he could beat her. But then, of course, Vi Lyles upset Jennifer Roberts, and Kenny had to kind of go through this slog of running against a really tough opponent in Vi Lyles and putting forth his best effort, even facing long odds. I remember early on, some people thought Kenny Smith was going to win and be the next Pat McCrory in Charlotte to bring Republicans back, you know. So he knows the Republican Party is the last marquee kind of candidate that they've had. All right, so let's get to it. 
Michael Barnes served four terms on council and was then elected at large as the top vote getter in 2013. And for a very short period of time in 2014, Barnes was technically mayor after Patrick Cannon stepped down and before the council appointed Dan Klotfelter. Michael's here with us. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you, Steve. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk about the 2022 election, but let's go back seven years when you ran for mayor. The Democratic primary was Michael Barnes, David Howard, Dan Klotfelter, who had been appointed mayor, and Jennifer Roberts. And so if, if I remember, Michael, the three of y'all never particularly challenged Jennifer Roberts during that primary. We didn't. And and I think in hindsight, we pro- I probably should have found other ways to challenge her. Uh, because I was mayor pro tem at the time, I thought that I had occupied the lane in the middle, center left, center right, and that uh, perhaps because of serving in that role and having been on the council from 05 to 15, that uh, the people might reward me for that service. I think the reason you didn't see the three men attack Jennifer is because she was a woman. And there is sensitivity to being overly aggressive uh, in terms of our approach to to dealing with a female candidate. Jennifer had been on the county commission, had been chair of the commission. So she was an established commodity in local politics. And we, I don't think the three of us wanted to take off the gloves. I think if we can flash forward to uh, right now, I think there's plenty of opportunities for other Democratic candidates uh, to go after People like Patrick Cannon um, and even Lawana Mayfield and uh, and Smudgy Mitchell for things that have been reported about them. I don't think they will. Do you think they should? I think that anybody who's trying to be aggressive in their campaign should go after their their opponents. I don't think they will, to your point, Jim, because, you know, all of those guys are going to run the, hey, I've served for X number of years. And people know me and I want to do what's best for Charlotte. So forgive me for my transgressions, whatever they may be, and let me serve again. Really, for many years in this country, we've looked to fellow Republicans and asked them, why don't they speak out and call out Trump when he says outlandish things? We go to this primary, though. Patrick Cannon, you know, was in prison. Luana Mayfield has made controversial tweets about 9-11 James Mitchell has had he's had problems himself filing late campaign reports, questionable expenses, you know, taxpayer funded trips, things like that. Yet no Democrat publicly is willing to kind of say that and actually tell people, hey, this the stove is hot. Don't touch it. I mean, are there some similarities there? People will vote for you if they like you, even if you screw up. And I think what Patrick is banking on and and the and Mitchell and, and Mayfield uh, will bank on as well is, you know, whether people dislike me as a person. So you can dislike someone as a person and you can also dislike something that they do. And I think what Patrick is going to say is, listen, you may hate what I did. I hate I did it. But give me a shot because I was actually a pretty good policy guy. And with the transgressions that you mentioned with Mayfield and, and uh, James, I think the same thing's going to happen. If people like them as people, they they get back uh, on the council. If they dislike them as human beings, it's over. Luana Mayfield, you, you guys served together. Will the, the tweet she made kind of questioning the official narrative of 9-11, I think she also tweeted that police were equated them to terrorists. Do voters remember that 
one. If so, do they care? Does it matter? I mean, yes, they will care. Will they remember it? I'm not sure. The media will remind them of it, though. And saying things like that or tweeting things like that create that environment that I mentioned earlier where people dislike you as a person because 9-11 was personal for a lot of Americans, whether they were in New York or not. It was an attack on the foundations of America. Clearly, her 9-11 comments do not wear well, but I've heard from some Democrats that some of her police comments uh, are, are viewed a little differently. The, in the, the thing after George Floyd, it was clear that a lot of the uh, complaints that you heard from the black community were valid. It was clear that what um, Colin Kaepernick said was true. She will be forgiven to some extent for, for some of those statements about police. But again, if you're running in a race against her, what you want to say is, hey, I believe in responsible policing. We, we need cops. We need good cops. Most cops are good people. It's just that you have a few bad apples that create problems in the community. I think when Luana was a, a district representative, she was known for her constituent service. Is that right? I thought she was, and uh, which is different when you're running at large. It's hard it to is. translate that. Yeah. So as a district rep, I got calls about the, the stoplights and street lights and <laughs> sidewalks and things like that. And then as an at-large member, it's, hey, we need to figure out how to save the Panthers. We've got to renovate the arena for the for the Hornets. Issues like that that were citywide type issues. Yeah. The biggest like the biggest secret is that being an at-large is a much easier job than district. Because <laughs> yes, yes. when you're at-large and someone calls you. But the problem you said, call your district district rep. (laughs) Exactly. You mentioned uh, sort of the left middle when you talked about your time on the council. Is that still a tension there? Will we see that this year? I mean, Patrick is maybe the middle, maybe the old way. Um, Braxton might be, you know, the new way. I mean, is that kind of ideological tensions within the Democratic Party, even within the African-American community going to play out in this? I think so. I think that more more black voters are in the middle than the media or the Democratic Party will want to admit. And so you'll have James and Patrick saying, hey, we, we've been around for years. We're moderate Democrats. Give us your support. And then you may have other at-large candidates like uh, Braxton, for example, who say, look, I'm, I'm left as far left of center and I want to take the party and the city and the state and the country in a whole different direction. And if we're going to dive into that issue for for a moment, I think that the National Democratic Party is in a crisis because it's trying to decide whether it's going to go far, far left or stay somewhere near the middle, maybe center right, center left. Yeah, when I talked to Patrick, I did an interview with him um, last month. And so a lot of his issues, he talked about kind of some of the boilerplate stuff, affordable housing, bring back the CIAA. But he did talk about we need to support the police more. He was very clear on that. Going back to when you guys served together, is that him or is that him playing for that middle vote? That's probably who he's been. He, he When we served, he was a strong proponent of public safety and strong policing. And I think that the thing that people have kind of lost is there's a difference between responsible policing and policing in general. And most politicians, certainly Democrats, are suggesting that we need responsible policing, that, you know, black people get treated like everybody else. And I think if if he's saying that, there are a lot of people who are going to say, I agree with that, because everybody wants to be in a safe neighborhood. When the Black Political Caucus endorsed Patrick, endorsed four candidates, 
Patrick was one. He finished fourth. I think two votes ahead of Larkin Eggleston. You heard the news. What was your reaction? Were you surprised? No, I was not surprised because, again, what I've heard and seen from him is, hey, please forgive me. I screwed up. I know I did, but I'm going to be, do better next time. And when you look back on his record, his his positions were typically somewhere near the middle, somewhere where most people lived. Michael, you've been endorsed by the Black Political Caucus back in your campaigns. You know, Black voters are expected to make up at least half of the primary electorate this year here in Charlotte. Um, how how far do you think that endorsement goes these days in in the primary, in a Democratic primary, with unaffiliated voters and everybody else? The value of the, the endorsement is that the caucus would hand out a pamphlet at the various polling sites across the city and throughout the county and say, hey, here are the people we support. To the extent that you're capturing a lot of black voters at the polls, they get that that voter recommendation sheet. And if they use it, hey, one, the candidates have saved money in terms of having to spread around palm cards. And two, you get a, a sheet that has a list of people who some folks may know, some people may not know, but they may say, hey, you know, the caucus, black political caucus is recommending this person, I can support them. And so to, to the extent that they're handing out the, the information at the voting polling places, it's very useful for candidates. You said that Patrick Cannon's probably not going to get any uh, incoming fire from fellow Democrats, not, not just Patrick, but uh, other uh, candidates as well. Um, what about the general? That could be totally different, though. I mean, you could have Republicans firing away at him. I think there will be Republicans firing away at him. And again, that's just politics. I think you have to. If you're going to run, you're going to have to mm -hmm. say, look, here's why I'm different from from this guy. Here's why I'm different from this gal. And I mean, from the Republican mayoral candidate, from the Republicans who are running at large, from the Republicans who are running on the district side, because what they want to say is, hey, you can't return Charlotte to a guy like that who's done the things he did to, to people who are going to take our city to the far left. I don't think it'll work because of the sheer number of Democrats in Charlotte, but I would be surprised if Republican uh, candidates didn't do it. Patrick has raised, I think, $5,000 this race. He has some left over, I think, from his old account from many years ago. James Mitchell would never raise much money when he ran. Is the money going to matter much at all in this primary? It may not because they both have name ID. Uh, it, it's going to be hard, I think, for Patrick to raise money because a lot of business people don't want to be asked why they donated to him. Your $1,000 and $5,000 checks typically come from business people. Most of them, I think, don't want to be asked about why they're supporting someone who did what he did. Uh, but they will be able to avoid the stresses that come with fundraising based on name ID. To get back to the Republicans in this confusing calendar we have this year, um, I've talked to some Democrats that worry that if there's a runoff in the McCrory-Budd U.S. Senate contest, that the runoff for that will be held on July 26, which is the same day as the general election for the local races. And Democrats are worried that could bring a lot of Republicans out and yeah, they may vote against the Democrats, too. I think it can and it will, uh, because you've got people in Charlotte who will vote for Pat, uh, who will come out to vote because they dislike Pat because of whatever issue, the toll roads or HB2 or whatever. 
And then you may have a lot of folks who turn out to vote for Pat because he used to be the mayor. And so if that happens, you're correct that it could have a negative impact on the Democrats uh, in the down-ballot races. All right, Michael, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Our next guest is Kenny Smith. He's a Republican. He was first elected to city council from District 6 in 2013. And in 2017, he ran for mayor. Kenny, thanks for joining us. Hey, Steve, thanks for having me on. So let's go. I want to ask about that 2017 race. You were kind of the last well-financed Republican candidate to run for mayor. Um, If I remember that race correctly, you jumped in thinking you were going to be running against Jennifer Roberts, who was the incumbent who had gone through a tough year with HB2, the Keith Scott protests uptown, but it didn't work that way, did it? 100% to your point. On the heels of the riots, HB2, bathroom ordinance, all that kind of stuff, uh, it really seemed like both a winnable seat and the mayor seemed vulnerable. Uh, I'll tell you a funny little anecdote. As I was contemplating all of that, I was out to dinner with my family, and I asked a question. I said, hey, who who at the table thinks I could beat Jennifer Roberts? And all the hands went up. Didn't say we would. I mean, we expected it, even if my opponent was Jennifer, it would have been a tough race. And I said, hey, who thinks I can beat Vi Lyles? Not a hand went up. I looked at Bridget. I'm like, Bridget, really? And she said, <laughs> he goes, Kenny, I just think that'd be a tough race. Uh, and so Bridget's your wife, right? Bridget's my wife. Okay, yes, so... Um, <laughs> Right. You thought Jennifer Roberts was a beatable opponent. You thought you could win that one. But then on primary night, Vi Lyles defeats her. Tell me about your reaction. Primary night was deflating, uh, to say the least. We had expected Joel Ford and Vi to split the moderate, slightly center left vote. And obviously that did not happen. Uh, So it was a little bit of a punch in the gut. Uh, that night when Vi sort of cruised through. And I remember telling Bridget, I was like, Bridget, this is just the worst possible news. Uh, you know, we thought Jennifer was going to win. Uh, Vi cruised through, not in a runoff. And, and, you know, the thing I always kind of chuckle at, Steve, is our race, Vi, who, who, look, who's a good mayor, is that she got more votes than Anthony Fox in, in a more high-profile race against John Lasseter. I mean, that was uh, both candidates – uh, I know Anthony spent over a million. I think John spent over 800,000. I mean, that was a big time race and she blew past that. So what we know from that, you know, you had money, you had a real campaign and you lost by 19. So let's go to 2022. And now uh, the Republicans are kind of mounting a slate again. They've got a mayoral candidate. They've got four at large candidates. How do you feel about their chances? There are so many structural challenges to being a Republican uh, in, running in Charlotte. I mean, start just with voter registration. Republicans comprise 21% of the vote. So you're already down almost two to one just straight from voter registration. So then, okay, let's say you got to figure out, all right, how do you get money in the door? We spent uh, 650000 if I remember correctly, or right about that. We were on TV, radio, uh, digital, um, you know, all sorts of stuff. I mean, we we really got got the word out and still got, you know, shellacked for lack of better better words. So the, the folks running now, they don't have to deal with Trump. I think the national environment's more favorable. I think there's some headwinds against Biden and the Democrats. So then it kind of comes down to, to funding. Um, are they able to get their message out at a time 
when people aren't expecting an election, right? So now you got to get your average voter, hey, we're going to need you to come out in May, followed by late July. And to me, that, that's just a tough ask. And if you already have a narrow pool of people to pull from, I, I just, I'll be curious to see what they do to get them out. I know one of the at-large candidates, I haven't met any of them, uh, but I think it's Cal Lubeck, if I'm pronouncing his name right. Cal Lubeck. He's raised yeah. a little bit of money. I think he's raised like $25,000. That's right. Um, he has a pretty active social media campaign. By all intents, seems to be running a campaign. I, I would estimate to run a citywide race, you're going to need $200,000 would just be sort of my guess. I, I think for the city council folks, your your hope is Patrick Cannon gets through, maybe lesser extent, LaWanna Mayfield. But I think if Patrick gets through, there may be an opportunity to squeeze one on. I, I probably would have suggested fielding two candidates. I don't subscribe to the theory that you need four only to have four. I think if you're going to have four that can raise money and do everything, I think it's great. Otherwise, I think you'd rather consolidate your eggs into one basket, just as my general thought on it. You know, no Republican has been elected citywide or at large to council since I think 2009. So so, so this year you have uh, the national environment that you mentioned. Uh, you have the Patrick Cannon factor and whether people would come out and vote against him. And you have the the, the strange election schedule with a, a general election in the middle of July. Uh, it seems like that would open the door to somebody on your side. I think it could. You can get through some of the structural barriers this cycle, uh, no doubt. I just think you got to have money to get, get the message out. What about unaffiliated voters? They're surging in the state. Um, I think a lot of them tend to vote Democratic here in Charlotte. But, you know, with Patrick Cannon on there, is there a chance they could uh, come out and vote against him rather than for Democrat or for Republicans? Yeah, I think there's no question that can happen. Again, as you look at it, people need to know there's an election to even go vote against Cannon. Then the question is, who's in town that week, right? Or, or the, the two weeks leading up to that, you have vacations, you have summer camps. You have all sorts of stuff that may drag people away. And then it's more of the base that would be willing to go out and say, hey, we would like to see a Republican on local government or more of those folks in town than your core Democrat voter at uh, that time of year. And, and I don't know, right? That's TBD. Um, my gut is if Cannon gets to the primary, which I think he does, I think that would be a vulnerable seat if you have the money to make people aware of it and you have the money to, to message, to message on why he shouldn't be in office. If you have the money to do a, a, a mailer with a picture of him in the mayor's office, taking bribes or TV ad, even if you get a lot of money, you know, I, <laughs> you, you always have to be careful of how hard you hit. Sometimes you can hit and it can have a, a negative impact. Um, local elections tend to be not as rough and tumble is uh, statewide and or say congressional races. But with that said, um, you could have a very effective uh, mailer and or ad campaign simply stating the facts uh, on him having been arrested for accepting bribes while in office. I don't even know how much of the visual you need. I think you could just use um, WFAE, Charlotte Observer or other media outlets words to describe it. And it's probably a pretty effective ad. Hey, let me ask you a related question, if I can. It used to be not that long ago that Southeast Charlotte was pretty heavily Republican, certainly Southeast Mecklenburg, the Ballantyne area. Mm -hmm. You know, in the last few election cycles, those have trended Democratic. 
if you look at the county commission, uh, certainly the general assembly, the delegation from the general assembly, do you see that uh, as reversible? And uh, do you think it'll happen? Uh, could happen as soon as this year? Uh, I would love to see it happen this year. I would love to see us make more inroads from Mecklenburg County and the General Assembly. I don't think the General Assembly changes hands. And if if you're going to have, like, I think the county as a whole will do better having a few more Republicans up there from Mecklenburg County that understand urban issues and are in positions to get things done. Uh, your long-term prognosis, I think, is tough. I mean, metro areas, we're adding people from all over the country. They're coming from places such as Pittsburgh, uh, Philadelphia, New York, New Jersey, uh, California. And as people come here from these deep blue states, a lot of them forget why they are leaving those blue states and bring their voting habits uh, with them. Kenny, is this, in terms of local races, city council, mayor, is this, you know, for the Republicans to try and win an at-large seat, you don't sound particularly optimistic do you see another year though that might be better or is this, is this as good as it's going to get? My lack of optimism could shift if the funding shifted. And right now I'm looking at the fundraising totals. Kyle Lupke, he has $25,000 kind of the next candidate. Charlie Mulligan has only raised five. Then the other two Mm -hmm. candidates, Carrie Alinsky has not filed a report as of the time we recorded this. David Merrill has not filed a report. Uh, it, it, It feels out of reach. No doubt. Um, Kenny, all right. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. I appreciate you being on and uh, and good luck. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you. So that was, uh, that was Republican Kenny Smith. Before that was Democrat Michael Barnes. For Kenny Smith, it seemed like his main theme was uh, uphill battle. It's all about money. Right now, there's not a lot of it for Republicans. What would you think? I think he's the only Republican I've heard this year so far who didn't say Republicans are going to have a good year. I think if it's not this year, it's, you know, this has got to be the best year. I mean, the national environment, which he mentioned, I mean, there's crime, there's schools. I mean, people are angry and I think they're going to blame the party in power. And sure, there's a lot of Democrats here in Charlotte, but some of them may say, well, ma'am, this year I'm going to, you know, send a message. There's still a lot of headwinds for a Republican in Charlotte, no matter the year, although you're right. The, the national context, there's a, uh, the Cannon factor, or if he is on the ballot, that'll be a factor. And you got a screwy uh, uh, schedule, election schedule with elections in, in, in late July when people are at the beach. So, you know, you're right. Not everybody's at the beach. I think a lot of Republican voters are going to be at the beach on that day. That's that's, the problem. (laughs) So he has to hope for, uh, I guess, for a runoff in the U.S. Senate race to get Republican voters out. We didn't know when the city council election was going to be because it got pushed back because of the census. If the general election had been in November, like the school board election will Will be, be. I think you could have a really good chance for these candidates to just get carried along by a red wave. But. When the election's in the summertime, it's going to be tough to let people even know there is an election. Well, I think that a lot of the donors are pretty pragmatic, too, you know, and they they realize that, um, you know, who's in control in the city of Charlotte. I think where you will see some Republican breakthroughs or possible breakthroughs in the election are in legislative races. In in Matthews, for example, you have Bill Brawley, who used to be the 
chairman of the House Finance Committee in Raleigh, running for election again. Um, and his opponents are, are, there are two Democrats running, neither one of whom has a lot of name recognition. So uh, that would augur well for him. And then you have um, Scott Stone, a former legislator and mayoral candidate, challenging uh, Rachel Hunt in a Senate race, uh, Senate primary, and she hasn't run for the Senate before. And, and then you have John Bradford in, in North Mecklenburg. So in, in isolated cases, I think Republicans, uh, I think are looking pretty well for them. I thought going back to our first segment with Michael Barnes, I thought it was interesting. He kept making the point over and over again that for some voters, you may be, they may be disappointed by a candidate's policies or their actions, but if they like them, if they've had a good relationship with them and they seem like a nice person, that goes a long way. I mean, it sounds simplistic, but it's still a small town in some ways. And it's also, I think, you know, I used to cover religion and I think it's a, a churchy town still. I mean, there's a joke that it, you know, uh, there used to be a church on every intersection. Um, but I, I think the idea of, yeah, okay, the guy served his time. This is Patrick Cannon. They believe in redemption. I think he also made a good point about why other Democrats aren't going to touch anything about Patrick Cannon in the primary um, or any of the other uh, candidates who have a little bit of baggage on them. Uh, they're just not going to uh, criticize their own. Um you know, it's probably a no-win situation for a Democrat to criticize other Democrats. So, all right, I think that's a wrap for this week's show. I'm Steve Harrison, along with Jim Morrill and Tim Funk. Thanks for joining us on WFAE's Inside Politics podcast, Election 2022. Remember, this drops every two weeks, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. <laughs>